the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. So I'm going to give you, as I start this, this evening, this weekend, I want to talk to you about some, some, some foundational things and then some practical things. But I want you to see that this idea of giving time and giving space to relationships is very biblical. Let's start with Jesus and his relationship with God the Father. Jesus always made sure that he had time for his relationship with God. Take a look at this, if you will. Mark chapter 1, verse, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he did what? He prayed. When he prayed, who was he talking to? He was talking, obviously, to his father. Luke 5, verse 15. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places, and what did he do? He prayed. Here's what you see is Jesus gave time to, he made space for his relationship with God. Luke chapter 6. See what this says. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And what does it say he did? He spent the night praying to God. Then out of that night of prayer, when morning came, he called his 12 disciples and chose 12 of them who called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he had he also designated apostles. Here's what I want you to see from that passage. Jesus didn't make any major decisions in life without spending time with his father. He invested an entire night of prayer before he chose those 12 to be with him. He knew the value of making space or creating space for his relationship with God. But Jesus didn't just make space for his relationship with God. He made space for relationships with people. Take a look at this passage in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, just a, a guy sitting beside the road, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up, followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. So What's Jesus going to do? Is Jesus going to say, you know what? I'm really too busy for dinner. I actually am the Messiah. I have lots of things to do and lots of places to go. And so I'm not sure that I can actually work that into to my schedule because I'm a pretty busy guy. No, that's not what he said. In fact, it goes on to say that along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, he went there and he had dinner with Matthew and all of Matthew's friends. And he spent that evening sharing with them in that setting. I want you to see that Jesus made room for people. Aren't you glad that Jesus made some time? and makes time and room for you in your life. Amen? Take a look at this next verse. Matthew chapter 3, verse 14. He appointed 12, and notice the reason, one of the reasons, that they might be, what? 
with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, we might think that that verse would say he appointed 12, that they might be sent out to preach. That's how we would tend to think of that verse. But no, Jesus is uh, the scripture. Mark adds this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He appointed 12, first of all, that they might be with him, that's hanging out together, being together, that's space for relationships, and that he might send them out to preach. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some... You get starting to get a message here? He spent some time with them, and he also baptized as well. Matthew 26, verse 18, he replied, go into the city uh, to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover, how? Not alone, not by myself, but with my disciples at your house. All I'm laying out for you is the idea, the biblical understanding that Jesus not only set apart time for his relationship with God, but he set apart time for his relationship with people as well. This runs all through the gamut of Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, you see the importance of creating relationship space. Even the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, as he starts this wonderful, wonderful uh, doctrinal book called the book of Romans. He's very personal as he begins it. He's also very personal when he ends it. There's a lot of meat in between as he talks about doctrinal issues, but in the very first chapter, he's very personal. And if you read the last chapter of the book of uh, Romans, he's very personal as well. He talks about all these people that he's gotten to know in his life and he values. And notice what he says in the first chapter, for I long to what? Not I, I, I long to preach to you. That's not what he said, right? He said, I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, that's time, that's space. I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want you want to be encouraged encouraged by yours. So all throughout these different scriptures that I've given you this evening, there's a theme, and the theme is create relationship space. Say it with me. Create relationship space. Once again, we can do better than that. Create relationship space. Now, what is the first word I ask you to repeat? Create. It doesn't happen unless you create it. Say it with me again create relationship space. So what I want to do for these next few moments is to talk to you about how do you do that in your life very practically. Number one, you have to find the time. Find time. You have to find time. Find means you actually look for it. You actually have to do some searching. When it comes to talking about creating relationship space, I think a lot of us kind of back away from that a bit, not because we don't want relationships in our life, uh, but because we kind of think we don't have the time for it. And, and I, as I've, uh, the time for building good relationships, as I've talked to people over the years and even observed my own life, I think we all have this tendency to overestimate or under, I should say this way, underestimate the actual amount of time that we have available in our lives for relationships. 
oh, I'm busy doing this and I'm busy doing that. But we never stop for a moment and say, let me actually get out a pencil and a piece of paper and let me take a look at actually where I'm spending my time and how I'm spending my time and where there is time available. Just like you would think about your your financial budget as you open up uh, an Excel sheet or as you get a piece of paper and a pencil, you start saying, this is the income I have and this is where it's going and do I have anything left over? Well, you, you and I have to do a similar kind of thing when it comes to our time. And so I want us to get real for a moment about our time. We all say how busy we are and how many things we have going on. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm certainly not going to argue with you about that. You know your life and how busy you are, but I want us to kind of get really, really real for a few moments. Can we do that? Is this okay? Okay. And so I want to see if we take a look at some facts, if that changes your perspective of how busy you really are. I have some numbers uh, on, my, on my iPad here that I'm going to translate to the board, so excuse me for looking back and forth for a moment, but I want to make sure that I get my numbers right. We have 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that translates into 168 hours every week. Every week you have 168 hours. Nobody has more than that. Nobody has less than that. We're all at the same level when it comes to the amount of time that we have. Now, let's just project for a moment that you're going to get eight hours of sleep uh, over those seven days. So we're going to take out of that 168 hours, you're going to have 56 hours of sleep every week. Some of you are saying, I wish I got 58, 56 hours of sleep every week. But let's just say, uh, for sake of argument here, that you get 56 hours of sleep every week, eight hours a night, seven nights a week. And let's just go ahead and be a, uh, just be a little extravagant here, but let's say you're also going to work 60 hours a week, okay? Now, some of you may work a little more than that. Some of you may work less than that. But let's just let's hit an average of 60 hours a week. Even if you, even if you work 40 hours a week, you've got to drive to work and drive back home. And so there's some commuting time and, that you're going to have. So let's just do a little, little math there. And, uh, would, you, would you agree that, that that's a good goal, right? Amen? Eight hours of sleep, seven days a week. That'd be awesome to have. Would you agree that's a decent number to use in terms of work? Can you agree with me on that? Okay. So we've taken out of our 168 hours every week, we've taken out now 116 hours because those are what I would call non-discretionary items. You can't, you, you have to go to work and you're going to die or you're not going to be very effective if you don't sleep. And so you need these things. You can't really make a choice about those things in your life. What you don't necessarily realize is, and we don't often think about is how much time you have left. That is 52 hours every week that you still have left. Think about that for a moment. 52 hours. Hours. If you divide that by seven days a week, then every day you actually have 7.4 hours every day of your week that is not accounted for by either working or sleeping at these rates. Okay. So every, every week you got 52 hours left every week or 7.4 hours left every day in your life that we're going to call at this basic level, we're going to call discretionary time. 
Now, discretionary time is it's up to your discretion as to what you do with it. Like discretionary money. If you have extra money, you can choose what you're going to do. So everybody has 7.4 hours every day discretionary time. Now, if we do a little bit more math there, that adds up to, if I can see my numbers here, that's about 225, 225, let's see if I can get a better writer here, 225. Uh, three, I think it is, hours every month. Think about the 225 hours every month. Now, let's translate this into dollar figures. Let's just say that every one of those dollars, every one of those hours were worth $20 to you. That would give you an extra income of about $4,500 a month. Anybody could use $4,500 a month, a little extra on the side, right? Okay. But we, we think in terms of the value of money, but we don't think of the value of time, okay? What I'm trying to help you to see today is that just like you value money, actually you need to more highly value time because your time actually is your life. If you ask someone what your life is all about, your life is really your time. Go to the cemetery. They have a date that you are born and a date that you die, and that's the amount of time that you lived. You could add that up, multiply it, figure out how many hours you lived, but the point being is that your life is your time. Your time, indeed, is your life. What I want to help you to see here is that you have far more time than you realize you have, and the key thing is not just what you do with your non-discretionary time in your life, but what do you do with your discretionary time with your life? People who make wealth financially do it because they spend wisely their discretionary funds. After everything has been paid for, they have a certain amount left over, and they're wise about what they do, and they become financially successful because they invest, they do whatever is necessary with that discretionary money. The same is true in your life. Your life is only going to be as successful as what you do, not just with your discretionary money, but also with your discretionary what? Time. Everybody got that? Do I need to go back over all that again for you? Okay. Very, very important. Now, so what does the Bible say about this? We're actually in church, so let's get to the Bible. This is not a seminar, okay? Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number, count, uh, count up, do some math, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. And by the way, for every one of us, we're a day less of life today. You understand that? Okay. You're a day less today than you had yesterday. So whatever your, your amount of time you're going to live, you're a day less today than you were yesterday. You'll be a day less tomorrow. And so it really is few. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. I mean, man, do the, do the, does the time pass quickly? Do you agree with me? I mean, my wife and I, just last week, we celebrated 44 years of marriage, okay? 44 years, okay? I'm not asking for, if you're applauding, applaud for her, if anything, because she's but the point being is that where did that time go, right? How did we get to 44? How did you get there? I mean, we're six years away from having a golden anniversary. I, I'm not supposed to be that old, okay? 
But the point being is that time is, is, it goes by rapidly. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us. Notice this. Read the last question, last sentence with me. Help us to. Help us to do what? Spend them as we should. That I would, I would submit to you. We might even be able to change that phrase, not just spend them, but because it says spend them as we should, I don't think we would violate the scriptures at all by saying help us to invest them wisely. In fact, let's go to the New Testament because it comes up with that very thing. Making the most of your time on earth, recognizing and taking advantage of each opportunity and using it with wisdom and diligence because the days are filled with evil. Let's go now to the next major thing. So first thing, if you're going to create space, what do you have to do? Help me out. This is class here. Find the time. Do you have any time available? Probably. Okay. Probably. Okay. Likely. Number two, identify the People, Exactly right. All these are things you and I have to do if we're going to have relationships. We have to identify the people. Now, listen closely. We're called to love everybody. Amen? Everybody. We're called to love everybody. We're called to serve some. We can't serve everybody. I, I wish we could, but you can't serve everybody. So you love everybody, but you're only going to be able to serve some with your life, and you're called to commit to a few. Let me break that down for you. Love everybody, serve some, commit to a few. Say it with me. Love everybody, serve some, and commit to a few, okay? Invest in a few. Let's go back over that again. Love everybody, serve some, and commit to a few. Not, I'm going to give this to you. I hope you'll understand where I'm coming from on this. Not everyone in your life is of equal priority. Everyone is of equal value, but not everyone is of equal priority. Okay. You follow me on this? Not everybody is of equal value, but not everyone is of equal priority. There's what we might call a concentric circle of relationships, the people that are closest to you. And then obviously people that work their way out in terms of the periphery of your life. And so you and I have a concentric circle of relationship. Do we love all these people? Absolutely. We love and care for everybody in our world. We can only serve a certain number of people. Can't serve everybody, but God will bring us into relationships where we're called to serve. Uh, That usually happens in the context for Christians and the body of Christ where they're planted. But we can only only commit to a few things. You can't commit to everything. So equal value, but not equal priority. Now, Jesus demonstrated this. When Jesus was on earth, he spent time with the multitudes of people, right? Remember when he fed the 5,000? He was with a whole bunch of people. But you can't, it's kind of hard to have really close relationships with all 5,000 of those. And then according to Scripture, there were 70 disciples that would often follow Jesus around. And so Jesus would spend time not only uh, with the multitudes, but then there would be those times that he was with those 70 disciples. And then out of those 70, there were 12 who were the apostles 
apostles. And so Jesus would spend more time with those 12. And out of those 12, there were, there were three, Peter, James, and John. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when Jesus would go and do something, he would leave nine of those guys aside. He'd say, Peter, James, and John, come with me. Why? Because he was training them at a, at a leadership level for more responsibility after he's going to ascend, arise from the dead and ascend back into heaven. And so there were layers or concentric circles even in Jesus' life. Now, did Jesus love the multitudes? Did he? Of course he did. Did he love the 70? Of course he did. Did he love the 12? Of course he did. Did he love the three? Of course he did. But then there's one more circle in Jesus' life. That was with his father. Okay. That was a central relationship that Jesus had in his life. And so all of these are concentric relationships. Doesn't mean that you exclude certain people from your life, but you have to always, listen closely, you have to always manage the tension of all these different people. I've heard it said before that certain things in life are not problems to solve, they're tensions to manage. So this is not a problem you solve. It is a tension that you're always going to be managing in life. Loving everybody, serving some, committing to a few, and some always managing those tensions because you're human. You only have a certain amount of time and energy, so you have to manage those tensions. It's that tension. So you've got to identify the people that you need to really be committed to and then the circles that expand beyond that. Jesus managed disciples, man relationship demands on his life. Take a look at this passage. See my time. I'm doing good. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not, did not even have a chance to eat, he, that's Jesus, said to him, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Let's stop there for a moment. So Jesus and his disciples, the 12, they've been really busy doing ministry. And I mean, they would not even had time to eat. They were so busy doing ministry. And so Jesus says to his disciples, we need a break. We need to get away from all these people. We need some time to recuperate and rest. And I want to spend some time with you 12. Let's get away. Come away by yourselves so that we can get some rest. So what did they do? They went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And notice what happens. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran, on, on, ran on, uh, on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus was managing tensions right there right? Come on, guys, let's go away and have some rest. And they go away, and the whole crowd shows up at their hotel. Can you imagine that? You planned a great vacation somewhere, and you got all the plans laid out, and then you show up at your vacation, and all your work is there with you. We had so much to do, we thought we'd just come with you. We need, we need you now. Okay. And Jesus is in the situation of managing tensions. What did he do in this situation? He chose to minister to the multitudes, right? So he, 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 he was not saying that the, the disciples weren't important, but he knew in that moment he was managing attention. He was knowing he was, you never find Jesus being rigid. Jesus was not rigid in the way he lived his life. He managed the tensions of his life. Now, 
just as there were times that Jesus had to manage this kind of tension, there were times that Jesus would not let anything get in the way of his time, time with his disciples. One of those times was on the, the Thursday evening before he's going to be crucified, and he goes up in the upper room, and he has the last supper with them, and notice what else happens. Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his, his what? Get this, his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around. He didn't, he did, Jesus never washed the feet of the multitudes, but he did wash the feet of his disciples. Why? Because this was a private setting. It was, I want to, Jesus was saying, I want to invest in you at a deeper level. And so he manages these tensions in his life, so valuable for us to understand. So what we have to do First two principles is find the time and identify the people. Do you know the people that are in the concentric circles of your life? I would encourage you this weekend to go home and draw some circles out and put the names of people in those circles, those that are closest to you that you need to be investing in. Everybody we love, some we serve, and a few we commit ourselves to. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.